me because there are several spiritual disciplines that we're going to look at. Uh, I felt a little bit pressed for time last week. I know that God spoke. I know that we had a great presentation from the youth, but I want to spend just a couple minutes to recap a couple things that I really feel that are important to uh, make sure that we lay a good foundation for us to build upon over the next several weeks. Amen. How many of you know that the foundation is the most important part of any structure? And I don't want to rush building this foundation because the things that I bring or the Holy Spirit brings to us over the next few weeks, I want to make sure that we have the proper foundation to build upon. Amen. Uh, I want you to know, and I know you know this already, but how many of you know that one of the reasons that so many Christians fail in their faith, so many Christians give up and so many Christians walk away when things get tough is basically because they have failed to build a deep enough foundation in their faith. And that's really what I want to do with this series. I want to build a deep enough foundation so that everything the Holy Spirit brings along the way is able to stand so that when we're all done with this series, we'll be more mature in the Lord, we'll be stronger in the Lord, we'll be a greater reflection of the Lord. Our series is based on the words of the Apostle Paul to his apprentice Timothy. They're taken from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, and it simply says this. It's the latter portion of the verse. He said, Timothy, discipline yourself for the spirit, uh, I mean, for the purpose of godliness. One of the things we looked at last week, church, the, the Greek word that Paul used here for discipline is gymnasia, from which we get gymnastics or we get the word gymnasium. Reminding us that Paul is referring to in this passage of scripture, a spiritual workout. He's referring to spiritual dedication and determination. He's referring to spiritual exercise that we have to have a part of our normal Christian life. One of the things that we have to realize and remember is that spiritual maturity doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall out of the sky, even though we'd love for that to happen sometimes. Spiritual maturity would just, boop, you know, fall on my life and I'm a spiritual giant. Well, that doesn't happen to our muscles. There's work that has to be involved. There's discipline that has to be involved, dedication that has to be involved. And the same holds true for our spirit. We need to remember that spiritual maturity is produced. Spiritual maturity is developed and it is achieved through these things called spiritual discipline. By the spiritual habits that are maintained and practiced on a regular basis in our own personal lives. You see, what you and I need to understand is that without spiritual discipline, we will always be spiritual children. Without spiritual discipline in our lives, without the spiritual devotion that Paul is talking to us about, we will always act like a child. We will always talk like a child. We will always think as a child and we will always reason as a child. And until spiritual discipline becomes part of our life, those childish things won't pass away. Until we have spiritual discipline in our life, we will always be listening to sermons, but they'll never have an effect on our life. They'll never make us mature. So this is what Paul is telling Timothy. If you want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. One of the things that we need to realize is that Paul said, discipline yourself, Timothy. 
He said, discipline yourself because my discipline, Timothy, won't make you mature. The discipline that I have in my life, Timothy, isn't going to make you mature. The discipline that I have in my life isn't going to make you spiritual. The discipline, the the spiritual personal disciplines that I have aren't going to get you over your mountain. They're not going to get you through your storm and they're not going to get you through your fire and they're not going to get you through your flood. My spiritual disciplines are going to help me in my time of need. But Timothy, discipline yourself because there's a time coming when no one's going to be around to help you. There's coming a time in your life when no one around, there's not going to be anyone around to pick you up and help you along. So you've got to discipline yourselves, Timothy, for the purpose of godliness. You see, my disciplines can't bring about your godliness. My disciplines, my prayer life, my, my worship life, my, my, my devotion to, to the Word of God and my time in fasting, they may motivate you. They might encourage you. They might serve as an example to you in life and what, what spiritual maturity is all about. But they're not going to make you mature. You've got to work on these things yourself. Discipline yourself for the spirit, uh, for the purpose of godliness. You see, what Paul wants us to understand in this passage of Scripture, church, is that I can't pray your prayers. I can't sing your songs. I can't tell your testimony. I can't climb your mountains. I can't run your race. I can't carry your cross. Uh, You understand what I'm saying? Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We need to understand that spiritual maturity is each and every one of our own personal responsibilities in life and in our Christian walk. It's why the Word of God says that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. We're to work out our own salvation with a reverence and an awe towards the, the Father that we have in heaven because no one else can do it for you. You have to work out your own salvation with the understanding that your personal spiritual maturity uh, Maturity is your own responsibility and not mine. You see, you need to realize that your your personal um, responsibility uh, for maturity doesn't fall on the pastor and it doesn't fall on me. God uses us, like I said, to encourage you, to motivate you, to direct you. But you're responsible for your own spiritual maturity. You're responsible for your own prayer life. You're responsible for your own devotional life. You're responsible for your own spiritual maturity. God uses us to encourage you, to help you, to assist you, to direct you. But it finally, in the ultimate sense, it boils down to you. You've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, with an honor, reverence to the Lord. We must be active in our own spiritual disciplines or we will not grow in grace. We must be active in our own spiritual disciplines or we will not grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Without personal spiritual disciplines, like I said earlier, we will always remain spiritual infants. 
A lot of people in the house of God, they've been coming for a lot of years, but because they don't have any spiritual discipline, they're still babies. There's a lot of people in the house of God that have been coming for a lot of years. They've been listening to a lot of sermons, but they're still on the bottle and they're still wearing diapers and they're still waiting for someone else to help them along. And the only reason that's true is because they themselves have never developed the spiritual disciplines that they need to find spiritual maturity in their life. And there comes a point in time when we've got to put away those childish things and those childish ways, Paul said, and we must develop spiritual maturity in our life. And that, that happens only through the spiritual disciplines. Last week, church, we discovered that spiritual discipline produces godliness. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that, you know, and sometimes it's difficult, we need to rejoice in our troubles and our tribulations because through those we develop what? Perseverance. And through perseverance we develop godly character. Through, through spiritual discipline, we develop godly character, but it didn't stop there. It went on to say, according to Romans chapter 5, I think verse 4, that godliness produces a confident hope of salvation. You see, you and I need to understand that, that, that spiritual discipline and godliness in our life, church, produce a certainty that your name is going to be written down in the Lamb's book of life. Godliness, the godliness that Paul is talking about, which comes through spiritual discipline, creates a confidence in my life that there's going to be a seat reserved for me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The, the spiritual disciplines and the, and the, the godliness that that Paul is talking about produces an assurance that when the trumpet sounds, I'm going to hear it. It produces a confidence in my soul that when the clouds roll back and the angel of the Lord descends with a shout and the trumpet sounds, I am assured because of my spiritual disciplines that produce the godliness in my life that when all of that happens, my feet are going to come up off the ground and liftoff is going to take place. This is the godliness Paul is talking about to Timothy. It produces an assurance that I'm going home to heaven when God calls me home. And that's a great, uh, it's a great confidence that the godly have. But on the other end, church, the unexercised soul, the unconditioned soul, the spiritually undisciplined soul doesn't have that confidence. It doesn't mean that, that, that God's grace isn't good enough to get them to heaven. What it means is that the undisciplined, unconditioned soul just doesn't have a confidence in the grace of God. Doesn't have a confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't have a confidence that when that day comes, I'm going to go home. You see, the undisciplined soul doubts their own salvation. The undisciplined soul doubts whether, wonders whether or not they're ready to go home and see the Father. They wonder if they're even saved. That's what, that's what the undisciplined soul encounters in their own life. I know a lot of you have been there. I've been there myself in my teenage years. I can look back at the time when I was playing games with God. When this thing called spiritual discipline... Didn't even matter to me. 
All I, all I cared about was the things of the world, making money and listening to music and having all sorts of fun and spiritual discipline like prayer and like, like going to the house of God and like reading the word of God and like fasting. They didn't mean anything to me. I didn't have any spiritual discipline in my life. And I can remember occasions, and I know I'm not the only one here. I can remember times walking into my house, and I heard the TV on, and I, and I heard the radio on, and I saw things going on in the kitchen, but there was no one to be found. Mom wasn't there, and Dad wasn't there, and sisters weren't there, and no one else was there. And I thought, oh my God, I missed the rapture. Because I had no discipline in my life. I didn't have that assurance that I was going to go see my father. And you know what? The first thing I did any time that happened in my life, I'd pick up the phone and I'd call the most godly person I could think of. And if they answered the phone, whoo, I still got a chance. Whoo, I, I still can make it. And I promise you the next Sunday or the next Wednesday or in the next opportunity, I had to go to the altar and get things right with God. Whoa, I was there. Because I needed that assurance that when the trumpet sounded, I was going to go see my father. How many of you want that assurance in your life that you're not going to be left behind? The only way it comes is through spiritual discipline. It's the only way it comes. It's the only way that you'll be able to make it through the day when the devil whispers all kinds of lies into your life. That you're no good this and you're no good that. And this isn't that and that's not that. And God hates you and God despises you. God can't use you. God doesn't want nothing to do with you. You see, the spiritual disciplines enables you to say, God, you're a or devil, you're a liar. There's a spiritual discipline enables you to say, like Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, because I know in whom I believe. This, Amen. Go ahead. You can bless the Lord if you want to bless the Lord. Paul said the godly will always have a confident hope in their salvation. They know that through Christ, they are able to stand blameless with great joy before the Lord when that time comes. The godly have a confident hope, but the undisciplined don't. And this is one of the reasons Paul said to Timothy in his young walk with the Lord, before he was entering into a great and powerful ministry, Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Because you're going to go through a whole lot of junk, Timothy. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to give in. You're going to want to walk away. You're going to have a lot of people turn their back on you. You might be stoned. You might be this. You might be thrown in jail. But as long as you lead a disciplined spiritual life, you're not going to lose hope. You're not going to lose confidence. You're going to know that you have a home in heaven after all of this stuff is done. As we learned last week... This godliness which Paul used and spoke of comes from the Greek word Eusebia. It refers to a mind that is set on spiritual things, a mind that's set on things above, not on things below, not on things of this world, not on earthly things or worldly things or fleshly things. It refers to a mind that's set on God and a mind that's set on the things of God. This is what the godliness, Eusebia, that Paul spoke of means. The word Eusebia, which I closed with last week and where I'm going to pick up now and, and highlight just a little bit on and then go on, refers to an awe of God that's exhibited by our actions. 
It refers to an awe of God that's highlighted in our lives. And when I use the word highlight, it's not like you go to the movies and you watch a little highlight of a movie that's coming. What I'm talking about, uh, when he says highlighted by our actions, it means that our life, uh, the godliness Paul is talking about is an awe that takes center stage in our life. It's, it's referring to an awe of God that is the feature presentation of our life. Not just a little tidbit, not just a little snippet, not just a little portion. What he's talking about is an awe of God that is the highlight of our life. It's at center stage. When anyone looks at you, you highlight Jesus Christ. When anyone looks at you, the godliness that that is part of your life takes center stage. It's center stage of your speech. It's center stage of your thoughts. It's center stage of your actions. It's center stage of your relationships. It's center stage of your business dealings. It's center stage of your friendships. It's center stage. It is the feature presentation of your life. This is what Paul was talking about, that you have to have an awe of God that's undeniable. You have to have an awe of God that that is represented in the words that you speak, the way that you dress, the way that you conduct yourself. Every area of your life, this is what I mean when I say it refers to an awe of God that's highlighted in our lives. But the sad truth is, church, I often wonder what our lives are highlighted by today. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody other than myself, but I wonder, church, if our our lives as God's children, if our lives as the sons and daughters of the Most High God are highlighted by financial gain, or if they're highlighted by the things of this world, or they're highlighted by worldly riches and by popularity and power and prestige, or if they are highlighted by the character of Jesus Christ. I wonder sometimes if our our lives as God's children are highlighted by lust and by greed and and by by rebellion and by wickedness or are are our lives highlighted by hatred and by anger are they highlighted by gossip are they highlighted by chaos and confusion or are they highlighted by the fruits of the spirit are our lives highlighted by love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and meekness and gentleness and humility and self-control are our lives highlighted by the character of God and of Christ or are they highlighted by the things of this world If they're highlighted by the things of this world, then we have no spiritual discipline in our life. If the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ is not at center stage in your life, then you have no spiritual discipline in your life. This is what Paul was saying, not me. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying, not me. That when you and I walk down the street, when we conduct a business meeting, when we go into the workplace, whatever it is that we do, when we talk to our husband, we talk to our wife, when we when we fellowship with our friends, Jesus Christ needs to be the highlight of our life. Amen. Sometimes I wonder what the headlines of our lives are saying to this world. Look at your own life. I had to look at my own and I wonder what the highlights of my life are saying to this world about who I am and who I serve, who my master is, who my father is, who I love. You see, in order for us to be mature in Christ, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. What headlines of our life? What, what, what are the headlines of my life saying to this world? What are they saying to my boss, to my wife, to my children, to my friends, to my neighbors or to the world, to the, to the waitress or the waiter? 
Any, any area of our life, that's a question we have to ask. I think sometimes that the church has become more awed by the world than it is awed by God. I think sometimes that even the children of God are more awed by Hollywood personalities and by, by uh, superstar athletes and, and by the things of this world, by, by monetary gain than they are the, 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 the Lord God himself. I think sometimes we demonstrate more awe over things that are passing away, church. Things that will turn to dust. Things that will turn to rot. Things that will one day blow away in the wind. Sometimes we are more awed by those things than the presence of Jehovah God. We're more awed by the buffet line than we are by the Holy Spirit that's in the house of God. We're more awed by, by the shrimp and by the, and by the lobsters that are waiting for us at Golden Corral than we are awed by the power of God wanting to do something in His house. And until we are awed by God, we cannot be godly. Until we are awed by the Spirit of God and the power of God and the presence of God, we can't experience those things in our life. This is what Paul is trying to tell Timothy. This is what Paul is trying to tell us, the reader. Without spiritual discipline in our lives, without the spiritual exercise of our soul, we cannot be godly. Without spiritual discipline, understand what I'm saying, we can't truly know God. We can't understand God. We can't become intimate with God. We can't have a personal experience with God without spiritual discipline in our life. How can you understand something you never study? How can you understand the Word of God and God Himself? How can you understand Jesus Christ if you never read the Word? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was was God and with God. The Word was made flesh. It became Jesus Christ. How can you know about Jesus Christ if you don't know the Word? How can you become intimately acquainted with someone you never come close to? How can you have an encounter with someone that you never fellowship with, never talk to, never close yourself alone with? How deep do you think your relationship with loved ones would go if you were always away from them, never communicated with them, never talked with them, never fellowshiped with them, never touched them or came close to them, never hugged them or kissed them? That relationship would dry up and die. And the same thing happens in the house of God. We think it's enough to come sit in a pew and listen to the Word without becoming intimately acquainted with God. Through spiritual discipline. Again, remember, it doesn't just fall out of the sky. you got to break bread to eat it. you got to call out to God for Him to respond. you got to open up a door of communication to even understand His voice. This is, these are some of the spiritual disciplines that Paul is talking about in the passages of Scripture. Without spiritual discipline, heaven cannot be highlighted in our life. The spiritual disciplines we're going to look at can also be called the habits of devotion. And when these habits are practiced in our lives, Paul said it leads to godliness and godliness leads to the power of God in our lives. On Sundays, Pastor Allen has started a series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge you with this thought. I hope that we as Pentecostals especially understand that even the day of Pentecost was the result of spiritual discipline. 
I hope that we realize, church, that Pentecost was a result of 120 people who were practicing their habits of devotion. I want you to understand that 120 people didn't come together in the upper room and just satisfy the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. They didn't just talk to themselves. They found a place of prayer. They found a place of worship. When you read it and you study it, you know that the 120 people, they began to read the Word of God aloud. They read it and they they received it. They confessed their sins one to another, which was the practice of godly people. And the Bible says that once they practiced their, their, their habits of devotion, the Bible tells us that when they were all in one accord, then the, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it anointed them and baptized them with power. If you want power in your life, if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, it begins with spiritual discipline. It begins with, with what these 120 people were willing to do. The Holy Spirit could have fell in a lot of different places, but I believe with all of my heart it's fell in the upper room because they practiced the habit of devotion, of obedience. Jesus told them what to do, and they went and did it. And while they were there, while they were waiting, while they were tarrying, I believe some of them were fasting. I believe some of them got on their knees, and they began to call out to God. They began to confess their sins, and they began to weep. They began to worship God, and they began to praise God. And all of a sudden, like a mighty rushing wind, the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon their lives. If you need and you've been looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you, develop some spiritual discipline in your life. They didn't have to drum anything up. They just practiced the habits of devotion and the power of God fell upon their life. Imagine what could happen to a church filled with people who are practicing habits of devotion. Imagine how we could change the world. Imagine how we could change the the workplace. The neighborhood, the school, if we would just discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We'd rather snack than than read on the word of God. We'd rather sleep or watch TV than to get alone in prayer. I'm just as guilty, church. I'm just as guilty. But I'm telling you that we must practice these disciplines. And when we do... You're going to see spiritual maturity develop in your life. You're going to see your life situations begin to change. And you're going to see the power of God begin to move in your life. Why do you think the Spirit descended upon Jesus when He was being baptized with water? And why do you think God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased? It's because even Jesus, as the Son of God, practiced spiritual discipline in His life. Without spiritual discipline, I don't know what the Father would have said. Without spiritual discipline, Jesus would have never made it to the cross. Without spiritual discipline, when he was kneeling down in the Garden of Gethsemane and he felt the weight of the world begin to fall upon his shoulders, when sweat came down, when blood dripped from him like great, or sweat came down like great drops of blood, he could have got up, he could have walked away, he could have said, it's not worth it, they're not worth it. But spiritual discipline kept him there. You see, sometimes this is what you and I need to understand when we get into that place of prayer where we're agonizing and it doesn't seem like heaven's breaking through. Spiritual discipline keeps you there. The devil wants you to get up. The devil wants you to walk away. But spiritual discipline says, if I just pray a little longer, if I just praise a little louder, 
If I trust a little bit more, obey a little bit more, heaven's going to shake loose. And I'm going to find freedom from my situation. When Paul and Silas were in prison and they were chained up and the gates were locked upon them. What do you think got them through? Spiritual discipline. They disciplined their soul. And you know what happened. Their chains were broke. The prison bars were opened and they were set free. Not just them, but the whole prison. The Bible says God saved because there were two spiritually disciplined men of God that didn't get up and give up. They just exercised what they knew to do. The power of God moved in their life. The habits of devotion that Paul is talking about, Jesus practiced, Paul practiced, all the great men and women of God practiced our Bible reading, prayer, worship, evangelism, servanthood, fasting, stewardship, tithing and giving, silence and solitude, getting away from God, uh, getting away from the crowd, pressing away from the crowd like Jesus did. Journaling, learning, and there's so many more, church. They are all part of the spiritual disciplines that are required for us to experience spiritual maturity in our lives. And every one of these practices connects us to God and it connects us to the power of God as well. This is where power, I believe, comes from. It comes through the Holy Spirit that operates through spiritual disciplines that we have in our life. So if you're not growing in grace... If you're not growing in the the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I hate to tell you, but it's not God's fault. He's given us everything pertaining to life and righteousness, the Bible says. He's given us everything we need to live a godly life. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not my fault. It's not the choir's fault. It's not because they played a wrong note. It's not because they played too loud. It's not because they went too long. It's not because he went too short. It's because we don't we aren't practicing spiritual discipline in our own life. The reality is, church, if you've never made it around the spiritual block, if you've never made it over your mountain, if you've never gotten past your giant, if you're still on the bunny slope, if your car is still in first gear, if your entire Christian life is at a standstill, if you have no hope, if you have no power, if you have no joy, if you have no strength, it's not God's fault. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's simply because you're not practicing the habits of devotion that God has called you to in your own personal life. That's the truth. I'm not saying it in a condemning way. I'm just telling you that's 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 why. Because Paul has told us that when we practice these things, it creates godliness. Godliness creates power. So if we're lacking all of those things, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, where are my spiritual disciplines? Are they laying on the coffee table? Are they still hiding under the the blanket on Sunday morning uh, when it's time to be in church? Where are our spiritual disciplines if the things of life overwhelm us and defeat us? It's usually because we have no spiritual discipline in our life to see us through. Remember, godliness doesn't just happen, it's produced. Spiritual muscles don't just form, they are developed through spiritual discipline. And whatever the discipline is, church, the most important feature of them all, which I touched on last week, is their purpose. We cannot separate the two of those, and I'll tell you why I believe that. When we practice these spiritual disciplines in our life, we've got to do so with purpose 
and we have to do so with direction. The best way that I can explain that is by telling you this story. It's like the young man who is told to go practice the piano. But while he does, he watches out the window to all of his friends that are playing football and sports and just having a good old time out outside and in the yard. And all he wants to do instead of practice is go play with his friends, go throw around the football, just go have loads of fun. Because the reality is, if all practice is to him is chords and keys and musical notes, it's nothing more than discipline without direction. And it quickly becomes a drudgery. It quickly becomes a bore and it quickly becomes forsaken as well. But suppose this young man is interrupted by an angel in the middle of one of his practice sessions and is given a vision of Carnegie Hall. Sitting alone on the stage is a piano virtuoso giving a concert to thousands of people who fill the hall. Normally, classic music bores this young man, but at this moment in time, he's astounded by what he hears and what he sees. The musician's fingers dance around the ivory and black keys with beauty and with ease. The young man thinks about how clumsy and awkward his fingers feel as he tries to play. He can remember all of his missed notes. He can remember all of the dead tones, and he is embarrassed by the comparison. For several more moments, the young man is enraptured by what he hears and wonders how anyone can play like this man on stage. Finally, the concert comes to a close and the hall rises to its feet in thunderous applause. What do you think? The angel asks to the young man. And wow was the only word that he could think of to explain how he felt at the moment. The vision then vanishes and the young man is once again sitting at his own piano. Before the angel leaves, he says to the young man, the pianist you saw on stage is you in just a few more years. But for that to happen, the angel points to the piano and says, you must practice. You must work on it. You must devote yourself to it. The angel then vanishes just like the vision. And what do you think the young man did? He practiced and practiced and practiced. Why? Because now his practice had a purpose. Now his practice had a, had a reason. He now realized what his discipline was able to develop in his life. He now understood what his discipline and hard work was able to develop or produce in his life. And the same truth applies with us, church. Spiritual discipline without a purpose grows quickly grows boring. I've been there. Spiritual discipline without a direction. Spiritual discipline, church, without a purpose quickly becomes a bore. It quickly becomes a drudgery. Why do you think so many people skip church? It's not because they hate church. It's because they fail to see the purpose in it. It's because they fail to see the reason in it. Why do you think people don't read their Bible? Why do you think they don't hardly go to the prayer closet? Why do you think they they don't even want to talk about fasting? It's mainly because they fail to see any purpose in it. They don't understand the reason why they even do this. Over the years, I've heard lots of people ask that very question. What's the purpose of reading the Word? What's the purpose of coming to church? I can have church at home. Well, what's the purpose of prayer? God knows every word I speak before I even say it. What's the purpose of fasting and giving up a meal and all these other spiritual disciplines that are being overlooked by the people of God? By the people of God, what's the purpose? 
Paul made it very clear what the purpose is. The purpose for all of these things is godliness. The purpose for spiritual discipline is to develop a personal Christ-likeness in our life. So that you and I might enjoy a confident hope of salvation, not having to worry whether or not we're going to make it to the kingdom of God or not. You and I have to realize that for spiritual discipline to be more than drudgery, for it to be more than a pain, for it to be more than than something I'm just told to do. You've all been there. I've been there. I do it because I was told to do it. And I did it with half-heartedness. I did it with some reluctance. Why? Because I didn't understand the reason and the purpose behind it. But I'm telling you, when I came to that place in my life, that I, when I understood why I have to read the Word of God, why I praise, why I worship, why I have to exercise these spiritual disciplines, it, it, it changed my entire life because finally I got it. Finally I understood that if I want to be like Christ, if I want to be like God, if I want to be an example of Jesus Christ... If I want to be that spiritual piano virtuoso, I've got to have a purpose for what I'm doing, why I'm reading, why I'm praising, why I'm doing what so often we do all these things with no aim, no direction, no purpose, no understanding of what it will make you. And that's why two weeks later we quit. Three weeks later we quit. It's why when the summertime rolls around and it's sunny outside, the boat has more more atta- attention than the house of God or the cabin or this or that or, or everything else. Because we have forgotten why we even do the things we do. It's so that we can become a reflection of Jesus Christ. We, like the young man, have to understand what we, we, what we will become through these habits of devotion. And that is godly. How many of you want to be godly? It takes, amen, it takes spiritual discipline in our lives. Understand, spiritual discipline has a purpose. And the purpose is to make us like Jesus Christ. The purpose is to make us a reflection of the Father. The purpose is to make us mature in the Lord. The purpose is to make the character of Christ the highlight of our life. <clears throat> Go ahead and put on the music because I'm going to start bringing this to a close. In verse 8, Chapter 4, Paul said spiritual discipline has a purpose for this life and the life to come. He said in this passage of Scripture that bodily exercise profits a little, but spiritual exercise, church, profits a lot. Because the reality is it doesn't matter how good you eat. It doesn't matter how much you work out or how healthy of a lifestyle you live. This body will one day die. This body of ours will one day pass away. This body of ours is one day going to end up in a grave and it's going to get covered up with dirt. So no matter how good we treat this body and don't, don't, don't think we're not supposed to treat it well. Because like I said last week, we need to treat this body like it is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We need to treat this body like it is the dwelling place of the Most High God. We gotta eat the right things. We gotta not do the wrong things. We gotta watch what we take in and we gotta watch our exercise. We've gotta discipline ourselves Physically as well, because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But but this is what you and I need to understand. No matter what, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how much we do these right things, even if your house is filled with treadmills and filled with ad machines and filled with weight machines and filled with workout CDs and exercise DVDs, 
like all of our houses are. Got a treadmill that's collecting dust and have boxes sitting on it right now. It's not doing me a whole lot of good, is it? But even if I ran on that thing every single day till I breathed my last breath, I will still breathe a last breath. Paul said bodily exercise profits a little. There's some good things that come from bodily exercise. Helps you think better. Helps you feel better. Helps you work better and function better. It might cause you to live a a little bit longer and might cause you to be a little bit stronger. But above all of that, Paul said, hey, Timothy, listen, there's something that has even more value than disciplining your body. And it's disciplining your soul. You see, just as much as you want to discipline your body, Timothy, Paul said discipline your soul because that holds a benefit not only in this life, but in the life to come. The spiritual discipline, Paul was talking about the the, the profit of spiritual discipline goes on even after this body is dead and gone. Even after this body is buried in a grave. Even even after this body is turned to a pile of dust. Spiritual discipline will last me through all eternity. Amen. This is what God was saying. Discipline yourself for the spirit of, for the purpose of godliness. Because without it, and I don't mean this to sound mean, but because without it, you and I will serve no purpose at all. Without church, disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness, we will serve no purpose at all. And here's what I want you to understand by that. Without godliness, ministry won't work. Without godliness, your testimony isn't true. Without godliness, our worship is empty and our praise is powerless because without godliness, we cannot be a reflection of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. And the fact is, without spiritual discipline, we cannot be godly. You and I can't sleep in on Sunday mornings and expect to be like Jesus Christ. We can't forsake all the spiritual disciplines that God has placed into our lives and expect to be a reflection of the Father. Expect to have heaven highlighted in our lives. It requires the habits of devotion, something that far too many people don't have, and and something that I hope we don't fall into, church. You see, we can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, which is the habit of some, Paul said, and expect to be like Jesus Christ. We can't roll out of bed and into church half asleep and expect godliness to come pouring forth out of our life. It just doesn't work that way. I want you to know that the godly don't have a habit of missing church. The godly don't have a habit of not paying their tithes. The godly don't have a habit of leaving their Bible at church because it's the only time they read it. The the godly don't have a habit of of storing unto themselves instead of giving into the kingdom of God. The, The godly don't have a habit of letting everyone else do the work while they just sit and soak in what what what's good for them, because all of that is a reflection of the undisciplined soul. And Paul said, Timothy, discipline yourself for this for the purpose. I don't know why I keep wanting to say for the spirit of godliness. I'm going to have to ask God why he's telling me that, why I keep doing that. But Paul said, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I'll ask as I close, how many of you want to be godly? How many of you are ready for a spiritual workout? 
How many of you are willing to dedicate yourself to the spiritual disciplines that God is going to bring uh, to our attention over the next several weeks? If you say yes to that, I want you to stand to your feet because we're going to pray together. And we're going to consecrate ourselves and commit ourselves to the spiritual disciplines that God is going to reveal to us. You, you know what they all are. What I'm asking you tonight, before we even get into the series and the power of prayer and fasting and all those things, I need to delay this foundation for us to understand that spiritual discipline leads to godliness. Godliness leads to the power of God being manifested in our life. So tonight you're saying, God, I'm just committing to discipline myself. Strengthen me where I'm weak. Reveal to me those areas that I need to work on. And I thank you, God, that I'm not here doing it alone. I have your help. I have your Holy Spirit. I have your word. I have everything that you've given me pertaining to life and righteousness. And now all I have to do is exercise it. Father God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in the house this evening. We thank you, Father God, for your word. We thank you, Father God, for those that have gone before us. We thank you for those that have had the courage to speak words into our own life. Like Paul spoke to Timothy and we've had people speak into our life. We thank you for the truth and the revelation of your word this evening. And I pray, Father God, that tonight we would discipline ourselves. That we would begin this evening, Father God, spiritual exercise. That we would begin to practice those habits of devotion that kind of have fallen to the wayside. I pray that you would build us up in the most high faith. God, that you would help us to exercise these devotions that we already know about. Spending time in the Word of God. Spending time in prayer. Letting us not be ashamed to testify and witness of what you've done in our own life. Sharing the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to worship and praise in spirit and in truth, Father God. Help us to find some alone time where we can just get alone with you, to meditate on you, to to just find a quiet place to where we can hear you speaking into our lives. I pray, God, that you would just strengthen us to do your will this evening. God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times and the, the disciplines that we've walked away from, for disobeying, Father God, your call to spiritual maturity. For being more awed by the things of this world than we are awed by your own presence. I pray that you would begin to do a mighty work among your people even now tonight. That we would become spiritually mature. That we would become the godly people you have called us to. So that power would be made manifest in our lives. So that revival would be more than four days, Father God. But that it would last a lifetime. These are the things that I pray, that you would meet every need that's represented here according to your riches and glory. If there's anyone here this evening that doesn't know you, I pray that they would take opportunity, Father, to come forward at the close and make that known so that we can pray with them and make them and invite them into the family of God. Go with your people, I pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord for his word, church? Amen. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you with this. The prayer that I pray in the beginning, give us ears to hear and hearts to listen, but the courage to do what he's challenged us to do. That's what I challenge you with. Have the courage to go do what God has called you to do tonight. Be blessed this week. Pastor looks forward to seeing you on Sunday. You have a special need, special request, need prayer. Be happy to tarry. God bless you.